Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zara. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone's a Critic Podcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. And we do have, a, I guess, like, we want to uh, the what is the you're in radio you, you know the word uh, <laughs> a I, contest a contest I was gonna say a giveaway <laughs> I guess a giveaway works too yeah giveaway uh, sure uh, we have something going on right now where if you uh, give us a five star review on any of the platforms you'll have to possibly let us know because we don't know all the platforms uh, we you have a shot to win uh, one of is it two movies or is it one yeah there are two movies now the Great War of Archimedes and uh, the other one is Deliver Us From Evil. Deliver Us From Evil. Uh, they're both uh, Asian-inspired films. Uh, both, uh, I believe they're both from, from uh, Japan. or Yeah, I think so. Anyway, the, the, one of them is about the sinking of the biggest battleship of all time, uh, the largest battleship in history, which is pretty cool. And the other one's a straight-up uh, just Asian martial arts action film. Yeah, and right now, the sweepstakes, for, for we just keep making up different ones. <laughs> Uh, are, they're pinned to the top of both of our social media pages. Uh, I'll try to go in there and put the Apple link because that's the only one I really know uh, to where you can go and review us. Uh, I, that's not there currently because I don't know where you listen to us at. You might listen to us on Google or Spotify or whatever. So any of those platforms are fine. You just got to let us know you're giving us the review, yep. uh, which you can do by emailing us at critics at IHateCritics.net. The best way to get a hold of us as well. Because that email has no emails. It's awesome. <laughs> Other than a couple movie things every now and then. Uh, and then we're streaming live on YouTube. Currently it's Memorial Day, Monday morning. Uh, normally we record Monday evenings about 8 p.m., 7.30, 8 o'clock. Is that about right? 8.30 at the latest? Yeah. Uh, probably in the summer that might go back to Sundays. But... Uh, if you want to listen, watch us live on YouTube, you can do that there. I also post the streaming links on our social media as well. And then most importantly, patreon.com slash critics pod. The best way to help support the podcast. We're kicking around ideas of almost doing a separate podcast as a bonus episodes, if that makes sense. Uh, something we both kind of wanted to do and it might give us a reason to do it. And it's a little bit easier. Uh, so look forward to those in the near future. And then I hate critics.net. Uh, up in the right hand corner, there is a T public link where you can get some of our podcast merch, like the shirt I'm wearing right now and the notebook I'm using, the Batman versus Jesus. We also have Willem Dafoe's confusingly large penis shirt and Cameron Diaz's shoulder, which again means nothing to new listeners. But <laughs> if you were with us at the beginning, <laughs> Josh was a t shirt machine. Yeah. <laughs> We tried Kevin Bacon's dick, and we just well, maybe it'll come back. <laughs> it, <laughs> it fell off a little bit after a couple episodes, but uh, Kevin Bacon's dick fell off. <laughs> it's back. <laughs> <laughs> you can't make me laugh too hard, man. <laughs> uh, all right, let's go ahead and get the pictures up here, and we'll start the show. And we'll start with A Quiet Place Part 2. A Quiet Place t- Part 2. This one is uh, written and directed by John Krasinski and stars Emily Blunt, Noah Jupe, and uh, 
oh gosh, I forgot her name. Uh, the young girl who's really terrific. I apologize. Um, <laughs> just trying to pull it off the top of my head. Um, the, this is, of course, you know, the sequel to the 2017 film, uh, which was a, a solid movie, really well made. I, I think I think I remember liking the first Quiet we, Place We movie. liked it, but I think we all had just weird questions. Like, it was just kind of, I mean, our YouTube, our podcast title was Quiet Sex because we ended up, because it happens in the movie, and then we sit and you know we we and i don't think we were being immature it was legit points <laughs> uh later on helped us in our youtube views uh but i think there's a lot of little things that we were just kind of like well i mean it's hard to look past this and that but anyway yeah. go ahead so uh, the the to get into this they the, the end of the last movie they came up with a way to to uh, at least immobilize these evil aliens that have come to earth and now in this one it resets to the first day when this took place. So we see Krasinski again and on his way to his kid's baseball game when the aliens attack. And then we're, then we bump bust ahead to uh day 474 after his death, kind of pointless really when you get down to it. I mean, it's kind of, there's really no reason to go back to day one. What we do. If I'm going to write uh, it and direct it, I'm going to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how it plays, honestly. <laughs> the, uh, so now we're in the we're in the future again, and uh, they're they're going to leave their their farm to go find some uh, other people, other survivors, and uh, you know, collect more more stuff. They've got the baby, of course. They've got this box that they've rigged up with some oxygen to keep the baby inside, so the baby can cry if it needs to, and and they won't get hit by the aliens. Uh, they go looking for new people. They go uh, and find uh, this abandoned, like, uh, I don't know, this abandoned uh, machinery place. And inside is Killian Murphy. And he's set up a whole bunch of traps outside and nearly gets them killed very quickly uh, before he takes them in. It turns out he's a former friend of the family uh, who uh, was lost his family now. And uh, he kind of wants them gone. He kind of wants to just you know die alone in peace if he can. Uh, and they kind of bring him back and you know get him to be a person again. Uh, along the way, of course, the family gets uh, split up, and uh, we do find that there may be other survivors out there. Whether that's a good or bad thing, you'll have to see the movie. Um, this movie, it, the odds are... We're ta- I always talk about this movie. When you stack the odds too high against the potential of the, of the people to survive, it kind of lose me, and, and this movie kind of lost me, the way they stacked the odds... Uh, Noah Jupe, uh, his character steps in a bear trap and nearly you know, snaps his leg in half, and that to me like was just not a necessary obstacle to place in front of them, uh, and it created so many other obstacles on top of it that it just again everything kind of stretches the credibility of whether or not you believe these people can survive this. Um, the first movie did that too, but I thought the I thought the odds that they stacked in that film were a little bit stronger than they are here. Um, at a certain point, this movie is incredibly tense. I mean, it, it never stops being tense. It never stops having the the feeling that 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 something could happen at any moment. But at the same time, after a while, that instead of being exciting, it becomes exhausting. And I was exhausted by this movie. I was just like, give me a second to breathe. Give me something here where I can just take a breath and and not and relax a little bit. And they just don't. He just doesn't. And something about this is just it's. It's it's just too much. You've gone too far in the direction of nonstop suspense, and I I just like can this just be done now? I just wanted to go home and take a nap. 
<laughs> Did you? How are the audiences reacting to it? Are they liking this, or is it just kind I of? I think so. Warm? I mean, and there's a lot of things going in its favor. It's kind of one of the big new movies, one of the first new movies back in theaters that people are going to. Uh, it's got fan favorites, I guess, but so they are liking it. I guess it, it seems more of a blockbuster popcorn movie. When if not that I like being exhausted in movies, but if I'm gonna be, you know, give me the Revenant, <laughs> you know, something like that, a little more artful. Right. That's gonna. Uh, that's at least you know you can see it one time and be done but you know you saw you had an experience this i mean it looks fine but it like you said if you stack the odds too hard high and it runs the risk of knocking the audience out of the movie that's not a good thing that's where i ended up just not i just wanted it over with so i could just relax and some people will say, well, no, that just means it's really effective. I'm sure maybe that does. If you're if you're 19 and you're coked out on caffeine, then maybe <laughs> maybe that's what you maybe that's what you need. Uh I live for, me. for the backhanded compliments. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> just for me, I just I got tired and, and the odd stacking got to be a little bit too much. And Diamond Hansu's in this movie. They don't use Diamond Hansu well, and I'm like, you needed to use your Diamond Hansu a little bit better, right? And in the first one, it was contained to one area. Maybe this is somewhat contained too. It looks like they do walk around a little bit, uh, but I mean, we've had a lot of dystopian future movies uh, in the last twenty years, like too many, and sometimes it just gets repetitive, and you just I don't know. You just get oversaturated with this stuff and it doesn't, it's not as effective or right. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I would, I would definitely say that, you know, it's interesting. Killian Murphy is in this movie. And of course he was in 28 days later, which is a movie that has a similar kind of constant sort of tension, but that film I feel like is far more artfully made than this one and uh, kind of justifies the the level of of tension that it creates and and maintains throughout but then i was much i was you know 19 years younger when i saw that <laughs> and it was it, the market wasn't as saturated either um, i the yeah the dystopian movies have, i've seen so many of them now that uh you've got to be really really good like it's got to be really really super good to to really get me and this one isn't super good. It's it's okay. It's well it's well made and uh, it's certainly effective. But uh, by the end, I was just I just wanted it to be over with, and I just don't think that's the the intention that, that I don't think that's the feeling they they mean to leave you with. Does it suffer from the same things the first one did? Which again, it suffers not the right word because it's just little nitpicky stuff. But when you're making this premise, where if you make a peep. You know, this giant thing is going to come out in a half a second and just destroy you. Uh, that's a hard thing to maintain and not have things wrong with it. Uh, does this one uh, have any of those or because they put that, you know, the earpiece thing in it that that's kind of saves it from the nitpicky stuff? It's got it's got one I could point to, like uh, when, when Noah Jupe's leg gets really busted in half by the bear trap and he, he does scream. He can't hold it back. Uh, only one of the aliens comes and you've got to figure there's so many of those things. If they heard a scream, like more than, more than just one would come in this scenario. 
Yeah. So again, yeah. And they come so fast in the first one, at least early on. And they, I mean, they, they, you don't have a chance. Right. So uh, the reason they're able to, you know, control it was because it was stuck in a room with them. <laughs> I don't know. It's okay. <laughs> Anything else on Quiet Place Part 2? I, I like I don't hate this movie. It's not a bad movie by any stretch. It's just not for me. Um, I just I it's too much. It's a it's too much movie. And maybe there's part of me that's just upset I couldn't see it, so that's why I'm making sure it's not good. But maybe, <laughs> maybe it, I'm sure it's fine. What, did you talk to Josh at all? Uh, I didn't. He didn't tell me how he felt about it. No. All right, no big deal. Uh, well, here's a chance for you to really. I'll let go. Uh, Moby Doc. <laughs> Moby Doc is a documentary about Moby and uh, directed by Rob Gordon Browver. Uh, he's a friend of Moby's. Uh, it starts out, and the idea is that Moby's just going to make a documentary about himself, and it's going to be him trying to figure out some things about himself. So he talks to the camera directly and, and talks about why he's decided to do this and how he's kind of exploring, you know, who he is. But at the same time, if you're thinking that maybe this is going to be revealing and it's going to tell you something about Moby, he starts the whole thing by, by doing, by doing this, this thing with his hands you know, to, to tell, tell the movie where to start essentially. And it's filled with this, those little touches throughout to just kind of, exposes the artifice of what he's doing and it creates this barrier of of sort of ironic distance between him and the camera so anytime it feels like he's confessing it also feels unreal and that is that's kind of part of who he is i guess is this creating this notion of who he is and that's kind of part of his art and if you're not a fan of his this does not play well it plays like uh it just plays like a pretentious artist being pretentious and, and never really stops feeling that way throughout. Uh, he, from there we go to this scene where he's playing with these little wooden dolls and drawing faces and hair on them. And they're representing him and his parents and his upbringing in Connecticut, uh, where he was, grew up poor in a very rich neighborhood. His father committed suicide. His mother was, uh, uh, withdrawn, I guess to say the least. She had a lot of boyfriends who were not very nice, and uh, he kind of grew up basically just with with pets, with dogs and cats and rats, and uh, just making them his his friends. And that's kind of ex- a very simplistic explanation of how he grows up to be an animal rights activist and and a vegan who doesn't because uh, he doesn't want to eat animals. Um, and that's fine. Uh, but again, it's all presented in this very artificial manner. At one point he's acting out his childhood traumas by having, by directing actors to act out scenes from his childhood. And again, it's just all very pretentious and high minded and not particularly revealing when he's continuously putting this wall of artificiality between us and him. So this thing that's intended to be so revealing about who he is never feels real. Uh, it doesn't help, I guess, that I, that I don't I don't particularly care for his music. I, I've never really listened to Moby's music. I, I don't know much about him musically. I've I learned about him basically through I know what I know of Moby. I know of him from uh, cultural osmosis, just kind of things seeping through the culture that that you end up knowing about, like the Kardashians. I kind of anything I know about the Kardashians is not because I watch their show. It's because they they just happen to see through into social media and come out of the bounds of other people. And that's kind of how I know about Moby is from hearing about him from other people. 
so I, I kind of wanted to learn something about Moby and, and kind of, you know, get to know what kind of person he is. Because the main thing that I know about Moby is that he lied about dating Natalie Portman and she called him a creep. <laughs> that's the main thing I know about him. And coming out of this documentary, that's how I feel. I know still what I know about him. Uh, I know he had some really bad drug problems uh, that uh, the, the the Natalie Portman thing probably happened because he was really, <clears throat> really out of it on drugs. Uh, but he doesn't d- address that directly, but it, that happened at the same time that he was deeply into drugs. And he's been d- deeply into drugs a few times in his life. But again, there's no real revealing thing here. It's all just artifice. Sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm the same way. I know that he exists, but that's kind of, and I knew the Natalie Portman thing and, but, and I don't, I'm not, that's really creepy. So I don't like that. Uh, but I don't know the context of it. So, you know, otherwise I'm neither here nor there on Moby. I'm not into electronic music. Uh, uh, he's bald and vegan. That's the only thing we have in common. He's small. I'm big. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. It's I don't really have any questions. I I was shocked you were wanting to even watch this, but I guess I I can see why because he is kind of you don't really know anything about him, and it's because he puts that you know he he definitely does nothing. He, he's not a very honest, revealing person. He he always has like you were saying that uh, block between him and the audience. Yeah. Uh, the pretension. I mean. That's the funny thing about pretentiousness. It's like you either love it or you hate it, but you can <laughs> both. You know, like I, I like David Lynch. I hate Terrence Malick. You know, it's <laughs> you know, it's just for the same exact reason. Uh, I like Russian. Yes, I not a big fan of Moby. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I can't be upset about that part of it, but I, I probably will never see this. So. <laughs> You want to know why I really, really dislike this movie? It's because it reminded me of that Donald Sutherland movie we watched about a month and a half ago. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? How? Really? Wow. I can't yeah. even. You kind all of those, all those stupid fly, all those stupid flights of fancy, and just the things that, the talking that goes nowhere, and these right. highly pretentious scenes. It reminded me of that. And I really hate that movie still to this moment. <laughs> At least that was a movie. This is a documentary. <laughs> was that be, a movie though? <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's yeah. not. You had an inexperienced filmmaker who happened to knock it out of the park on the first one. The second one, they got a little <laughs> over out in their head, over their heads. Uh, yep. Uh, that's weird. <laughs> All right. Another weird one. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, this is the one I could probably watch this week. Uh, Endangered Species. Uh, then I saw the cast and I'm like, what? <laughs> 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 if this is good, uh, I will watch it. Uh, Endangered Species stars Philip Winchester from the TV series Chicago Justice and uh, Rebecca Romaine as a married couple who travel to Kenya to uh, to take a safari, essentially. And uh, they've got their two kids with them, and the daughter has brought her hippie boyfriend. And the, immediately, right off the bat, just as they're establishing these characters, you immediately start to root for the rhinos uh, in the movie. <laughs> Because they're all just whiny and and bored. Rebecca Romaine just would rather be anywhere than in this movie. 
Uh, so they, the premise then kicks in when dad admits that he's lost his job as a consultant for an oil company, which really, if you want to make a character very sympathetic, have him be a consultant for an oil company that just had a massive spill and he's been fired because of course that really makes him very sympathetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> then of course he's got, uh, he's had issues with, he's got issues with his son who is gay and his issues with his daughter who had, who's dropping out of college to be with this hippie guy. Uh, so the, the family is just a, just com- a complete shambles. Uh, they're hoping that this vacation will bring them together. They're going out into the wild to look at rhinos. And since dad lost his job, they don't have enough money for a guided tour. So they have to uh, they have to take out their own tour. And when they do, they just kind of sneak out without paying and without signing out their vehicle. So they end up in the in the wildlife uh, out in the wildlife of Kenya with no one knowing where they are, or how to find them. Uh, they come across a rhino. Uh, they happen to get in between the rhino and the rhino's mom, and the mom charges and destroys their vehicle in a very funny scene. Because hmm. uh, again, I was rooting for the rhinos. Uh, <laughs> the, um, the the rhino, the CGI rhinos, they're terrible. They're just rubbery looking. Like <laughs> they look like they belong more in an animated movie than they do in this movie. Uh, but they, uh, they nevertheless, they charge and they destroy their vehicle and they end up in the wild lot in, in the African wilds with no one knowing where they are and trying to survive. They do come across Jerry O'Connell, who plays a uh, a hunter, uh, a rhino hunter who uh, illegally harvests rhino horns, and uh, he's supposed to be the big bad and. <laughs> If you think you can buy for a second Jerry O'Connell as a badass, <laughs> no. I've seen Jerry O'Connell way too many times. He's too much of a goof, and he doesn't change anything about himself to try and make you buy him as anything other than a goof. So it's just a goofy Jerry McConnell character that happens to want to murder this family to cover up his crime. And it just never I just never bought it for a second. Uh, the, the best part of the movie is when the hippie boyfriend gets mauled by hyenas. That's the best part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not actively rooting against Jerry O'Connell and Rebecca Romaine or anything like that. You know, I, if Tarantino wants to come in and try to do something crazy with them, I'm on board. But clearly, you know, if you're going to Africa, you don't have money. You got This is your cast. You got a married couple who's doing it as well. So, I mean, there's too many red flags going into this movie to give it a chance. My wife was like, I'll watch it if you really want to, but I don't, I don't, if I don't have to. Uh, Philip Winchester is so, so bad in this. I felt, I felt bad at it. Look at his face right there in this mm -hmm. picture, Bob. That's how he looks throughout the entire movie, just whining. He looks like he's whining the entire movie. He's afraid of the flight over. He's afraid of every bump in the night. And I don't know why they gave him this character choice. I guess his arc is supposed to be that he's supposed to get tougher uh, throughout. Like he's supposed to you know, grow and get uh, stronger by the end of the movie. But the ending is so funny. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's not supposed to be by any stretch. I mean, but you can't do this without like real money. I mean, I don't care who you are. You can't yep. do a movie with animals like this without money behind you, and that uh, <laughs> it's back to the before the pandemic. <laughs> you don't have to see this movie. <laughs> the best bet on this is just 
instead of paying seven dollars to watch it, send seven dollars to the World Wildlife Fund to protect rhinos. That's really what you should do. That's really a much better use of your time and money. Yeah, even though they ripped off the WWF name. <laughs> you ever heard that story? <laughs> I've only heard the it from world. the WWF side, so. <laughs> uh, oh. Anyway, uh, yeah. Did you watch Ultimate Warrior Dax? <laughs> I just uh, I saw some highlights. That's about it. I I can't take seriously a documentary about Ultimate Warrior that doesn't talk about steroids. So well well done, Vice. There's two. <laughs> WWE did There's one. There's two. A and E had one as well at the same week. They both came out. <laughs> Uh, WWE's actually addressed it. Oh. But I mean, I guess the it was... Vice did not. It was too public knowledge. Well, there's a lot to address with the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, we're not talking about the Ultimate Warrior here. We're talking about uh, American Trader, the trial of Axis Sally. Is this worse than endangered species? <laughs> this looks horrible. Kind of. Like they're on the same level, I would say. Uh, American Trader, The Trial of Axis Sally stars uh, Meadow Williams, who I've never heard of before, uh, in the role of Axis Sally, who is uh, uh, a woman who, who defected to Germany very early on, but well before the start of World War II, like in the late 1920s, early 1930s. She was looking for acting jobs. She wasn't getting them in the U.S., so she went to Germany and she met a man and fell in love and he asked her to stay in Germany once you know, once the Nazis started uh, to take over and, uh, and the, as they were moving towards World War II. And in that time, she took on a job as a uh, radio host where she was uh, doing these broadcasts to American soldiers and even all the way, I mean, it even went to America. Everybody around the world could hear these broadcasts of her talking to the soldiers and telling them, you know, your families really miss you and your girlfriends might be cheating on you and uh, all this stuff is happening and you can't beat the unbeatable German army. So I don't know why you're here. You should just go home and not so you know, end up mangled by the unbeatable German army. And that was her job. She did that all the time. Uh, every day she would broadcast that kind of thing. Uh, and after the war, of course, she gets captured by the U S and taken back to the United States to stand trial for treason and, uh, her argument is that uh, she was repeatedly threatened and even raped by by uh, Joseph Goebbels, who played by Thomas Kretschmann. And Al Pacino plays her lawyer, who's uh, tasked with defending her in the most confusing way imaginable. <laughs> because the first thing, the first scene with Pacino, there's two guys sitting in his office going, we need a conviction uh, of Axis Sally. We really need the, to, to put her away and make an example of her. And he goes, of course, I'll make that happen. It's a ground ball. It's an easy out. No problem. Then he goes to her cell. He says, hi, I'm your lawyer. And you're like, what? Wait, do I have to? What did I? I thought he was the press. Is he the prosecutor or is he the he's the defense? Oh, he's just corrupt. OK. <laughs> but of course, he gets kind of won over to her side, I guess, because the movie is kind of taking her side in the strangest way possible. It wants to, it wants to have it both ways. It wants to be kind to her because again, it claims that she was forced to do these things, which maybe she was. Uh, and also that she didn't actually kill anybody uh, is, a, is a fair point. She didn't actually kill anyone. Um, she didn't give away, you know, American secrets to Germany or anything because she didn't have any. Uh, so really what was her crime other than speaking against the war? 
uh, you know, but again, we're also talking about somebody who was on the Nazi side. So it's it's kind of the, the, the there's no real rooting interest here. <laughs> like you understand that maybe, yeah, that they're right that she's not she's only really guilty of of just bad decision making early on and ending ending up in this situation. So, yeah, should she go to prison for that? Probably not. I mean, Hedda Hopper, the, the famed gossip columnist, was saying the exact same things as Axis Sally was in her columns on a daily basis. And those were being printed in the L.A. Times of her saying, you know, we shouldn't be in this war. And this president's taking us to this war that we shouldn't be in. And she wasn't necessarily she wasn't going as far as saying that the Nazis are better than us and and that. But she was an isolationist. There were plenty of isolationists in the world at the time saying we shouldn't be in World War Two. And many of them were in government. Uh, and weren't called, you know, traitors and uh, and tried for treason. So I understand what they're going for here, but you're not talking about anybody who can be easily defended given the things that she did. And she didn't end up in jail for about 12 years for what she said. Uh, she she participated in this one particular broadcast that was really super offensive that happened to air the day before uh, D-Day, where she talked about the guys be guys limbs being blown off and she was playing the perspective of a mother of a soldier who's who dies in this this war and how unnecessary it was for him to die and so they convict her of that but even then i, I don't know what the fuck this movie was trying to say it's it, on top of it the, just aesthetically it's not very pleasing pacino is doing you know the typical pacino stuff like if he if he's not if his character isn't the center of the scene he's not going to be in it <laughs> it's like, you can just tell oh they're not talking about me in this scene bye <laughs> i'm gonna get a coffee i'll be back <laughs> call me when you need me i mean that's the question i have for you is i mean this sounds way more competent than i was expecting uh i mean it's michael polish and the polish brothers are pretty great directors but this is only one of them in this version so i mean i was expecting something as equally as terrible as endangered species for the same reasons like no money no you know but it, uh it sounds like they had enough to make this movie work uh and a lot of the stuff i just talked about was just mostly for me okay. <laughs> a lot of the stuff that like they don't have any really interesting conversations about but, you know about, about about isolationists or or anything like that they don't really have that conversation at all i'm right. having that because I, right. I happen to be listening to uh you must remember this <laughs> right now which right. is all, all about how to hopper and so that i that got me thinking about it and that's a much more interesting conversation about isolationists during world war ii and and what people were saying about you know not going to world war ii uh, which they were wrong to say that, and, uh, and you know, we were definitely right to go over there and do what we did. Uh, at the same time, it's not a crime to speak out against any war. So, right. but this movie's not having that conversation. Well, it's so clumsy and, and so poorly like put together. Her her character is so awful. She's such a terrible person that even after you know she's been sexually assaulted by by Goebbels and essentially told that she'll be killed if she doesn't go with go ahead with these broadcasts the performance is so wooden and unsympathetic that you can't invest in her like literally seeing her or you know assaulted and all this and you still don't believe her (laughs) i mean there's no i mean there's no evidence whatsoever that she was raped by Goebbels there's no evidence whatsoever that she was even had a gun to her head to make her do this there's absolutely no evidence the movie infers that oh the movie doesn't movie doesn't show it 
It, it shows you, yes, it shows you that happening. It doesn't like it's not a graphic rape scene, but the the implications are strong. But there's no if you look at the historical. Well, record, no, yeah, there's I, no, that's what I was going to ask. <laughs> I'm not asking historically in the movie is there evidence? Yeah, but historically there's not, and that always that always can affect the movie too. <laughs> Well, yeah, because I mean, how do I believe her or do I do I not believe her? Right. I don't know. I don't know if I believe her or not. But I was glad you at least bring that much to this movie. That's pretty <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> I, I mean, I keep going back to when the Irishman came out and Pacino out and out said, which I mean, he said it and it's kind of a cop out. But now that he said it, it, it's it doesn't protect him. But he goes sometimes I just take bad moves, just bad movies, just to see if I can make them better, <laughs> which is hilarious because <laughs> he's done a lot of bad movies in the last twenty five thirty years. Uh, and then you got De Niro suing his ex wife about having to take bad movies because he can't afford to live the lifestyle yes <laughs> that she wants to maintain. Uh, <laughs> So, I I don't know. I just love that. <laughs> that doesn't excuse any of it, uh, but uh, made me laugh. Anyway, let's move on to Cruella. Cruella. This is a uh, this is a Disney villain origin story about the uh, villain of One Hundred and One Dalmatians, Cruella Deville, who uh, grew up under the name Estella, but uh, her mom would call her Cruella when she was acting out, and. Uh, it discouraged her from from being like that, and for a time, she was kind of going along with that and and kind of trying to do her best to be a nice person until her mother is killed, and uh, rather graphically so when we when we actually see it in the movie in that classic uh, Disney fashion because Lord knows you can't have parents in a happy life in a movie <laughs> in a Disney movie. No. Uh, so the mom dies and she ends up going to uh, London by herself where she meets the Batten brothers and uh, she enters into their gang and they become like a you know, this little criminal uh, group. Uh, they grow up just stealing watches and, and wallets and stuff and you know, little petty crimes until she gets old enough that uh, she decides she wants to pursue her dream of being a uh, fashion designer. Uh, she ends up lucking her way into a job with the Baroness played by uh, Emma Thompson, who's uh horrible human being who just steals her employees designs and calls them her own and she's just awful to people and uh and from there that's what kind of uh, brings about her cruella side where she once she has she finds a particular motivation to drive her towards uh being cruella she decides that cruella is her way to get back at the baroness uh so she becomes cruella and starts designing her own stuff and putting on these big uh publicity stunts to show up the Baroness. It's all building towards a final conflict between the two of them uh, to see who's going to be the meaner person. Uh, and, and I, I like this movie a little bit because I like Emma Stone a lot, and I think the the aesthetic of it is awesome. The, the fashion designing stuff is fantastic, and the the once she's like fully Cruella, Emma Stone is really enjoying herself, and you can sense how much she's enjoying playing this character and doing these things and. The you can also tell that this was uh, this had a story credit for Aileen Brosh McKenna, who was the uh, the writer and director of uh, The Devil Wears Prada. You can sense a lot of her wit in what Cruella does, and, and I appreciated that. And that's kind of what the kind of the movie I wanted to watch <laughs> was the version where Cruella becomes uh, Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada. That's a much more interesting story to me. But this is a Disney villain origin story, so she has to have this like forced 
narrative where her friends are kind of hurt by her becoming Cruella and leaving them behind. And she's got to go back for them and show that she cares about them in some way. And uh, fine, I guess that's the final act. Uh, But I still, I like a lot of this. I think there's a lot of really good stuff here. Uh, I think Craig Gillespie is a a very good director who can make this work and in many ways he does in terms of the, the comedy of the movie is strong. The, the, the aesthetic especially is really strong. The, uh, the, the soundtrack is incredible and the, uh, the score is awesome. So I, I really, there's a lot of really great things about this. I just don't think there's any heart to it. There's nothing beating underneath the chest of this film. It's sort of, uh, it's empty in that way. And, and when it tries to get those emotional beats at the end, it does not work. I love the aesthetic so much <laughs> that I'll, I, I, I'll say I like it because I, I don't care. You know, I, I look at Disney as this big machine and it doesn't have a heart anyway. And now sometimes they can pretend to have a heart in their movies, but the company itself doesn't. And so you Craig Gillespie swipes in here, you know, the other people you named as well. Then you got Emma Thompson and Emma Stone. Uh, they make it entertaining enough that I don't care about what doesn't work about it. There's definitely... Uh, a lot of if you want to sit and focus on the story it's definitely uh you know they they cop out they don't you know they don't turn the dogs into uh outfits they could have and it would have been better movie if they did it would have been fucked up and gross and horrible but it would have been more real i mean the cartoon did (laughs) so it would have been perfect for this movie to do and they don't go that dark but the yeah. aesthetic and the soundtrack, the punk rock vibe of this whole movie yeah. is so perfect that it's just fun to watch. And I don't care about it's a little long, but even then I liked the vibe so much. I didn't care that it was long. I didn't care that she was, I didn't hate her enough. I was just like, I wanted to see what they're going to do next. And then, you know, they end it with a black Sabbath song turning into a Rolling Stone song. So I'm all, you know, I'm on board. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you had the Doors, the Clash, ELO, uh, two different Ike and Tina Turner songs, Blondie, Queen, like I said, Black Sabbath, Rolling Stones, Super Tramp. Uh, such a great, that was such a great soundtrack and score. The whole thing was just, it was fun to watch. I was really shocked at how much fun I had watching it and just how cool it was. The story is whatever, but... Uh, uh, the cool is what really works for this movie for me. The aesthetic, the punk rock vibe. Yeah, the the costumes are are incredible. The uh, <laughs> I loved the the the, the pranks that she pulls on mm-hmm. on the Baroness to to steal her thunder are really great. And when she gets to that uh, that punk rock uh, uh, fashion show that she puts on, yeah, that that is a really cool scene. <laughs> it's really cool. Anytime they go to the, all the pranks are awesome. I mean, from the garbage yeah. trunk. To, I mean, the yeah. punk rock scene was the best, but I don't know. I just, I, I was the fight kinda... scene. Uh, there was a, there's a great fight scene where she walks in and she's got this one dress on and then she lights it on fire and it turns into another dress. Like that's cool. That was, and that, that's, that's what, that's this character. That's what she does. Like that's, that's the, when she's at her, at her best is that moment. And then, then she beats up the security guards. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, what? But what you have? You have a director who knows what movie he's making. You have two actresses who know what movie they're in. You know, even the 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 Neander, the buffoons or whatever, they knew what movie they were in. Uh, and so everything that's weak about it, which is just simply the fact that you had to 
you had to force us into a Corella Deville story. That's the only thing that's weak about it is you're forcing it there. Yeah. Uh, uh, everything else is so strong that it works for me, and uh, I would definitely watch it again, or at least I'd, if it was on, I'd keep watching it, I suppose. Uh, I paid the 30 bucks on Disney+, Plus, but if I took my family, it's 40 so <laughs> it actually worked out. So I I was shocked at how much I enjoyed it. Maybe it was because I wasn't expecting to like it. I had no idea I was going to walk into that kind of a punk rock movie. Uh, but they I, really they really do nail that. Uh, and I love the scenes with her and the London shop owner she befriends. Oh, that yeah. guy's fun. He steals every scene that he's in. And they have a wonderful dynamic that I wanted to see more of. Uh, there could have been a little bit more with him. I thought uh, in this movie that that uh, would have that would have been cool. What I want is this to be done, though. I don't want <laughs> this turning into another hundred and one Dalmatian movie because I don't know how. I mean, you could fuck it up. I mean, I guess I don't care. I won't have to see it. But unless they're all on board again and they do it, like, I just don't know how you, you know, now she's not punk rock anymore. Now she, you know, everything's different. <laughs> she's inherited the, the fortune. Spoiler alert. Uh, but anyway, I don't really give a shit. Make a sequel. I'm just not going to watch it. That's what, <laughs> what I'm getting at. <laughs> all right. Anything else on Cruella? Uh, nah. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the main event for the linear, legitimate, and universally recognized undisputed classic. Our undisputed classic is Lars and the Real Girl. Yes, uh, directed by Craig Gillespie, which is why we chose this. It's about a uh, Wisconsin guy who lives in his uh, parents' garage, his brother Gus and his wife uh, played by Emily Mortimer on the house. No, his parents are dead. And uh, Lars uh, is a lonely guy who's kind of very withdrawn from society and from people. Uh, he grew up based solely specifically on the way he grew up. Uh, he ends up getting this doll, uh, ordering this sex doll in the mail. And it sounds like that's going to be some kind of gross thing. But uh, he actually wants to have this because he wants to have a relationship that he knows that he can control and won't end in horror and death. Uh, everybody in the town, this small town decides to kind of go along with it. Uh, Patricia Clarkson plays his doctor and she kind of leads everybody in the direction of just accept this, accept him with this sex doll. And uh, let's just all pretend this is as real for us as it is for him. And maybe this will be the way to bring him out of this. There's a lot of really wonderful things in that. There's a lot of really strong jokes in this, too, uh, that come from these characters. They're not like jokes jokes, but they're like just kind of moments where people are are forcing themselves to go along with this, realizing they're forcing themselves to go along with this and just kind of laughing at the absurdity uh, of going along with this. Um, I, I really love this movie, but at the same time, there's something that's just been nagging at me about this, and that is that, is it too pat? Is this too easy uh, an explanation of his of his trauma an explanation of his psyche uh i i i'm plagued by this thought because everything about him can be explained about what happened he when he was born his mother died during childbirth this led to his father uh, growing very depressed and eventually dying himself and that explains why lars look, looks desperately for something that is that is permanent. So he, it's why he's drawn to this, this sex doll, because 
as he says in this kind of throwaway line as they're leaving church one day, uh, the one of his one of the friends from church gives gives him a flower to give to the doll, and he goes and he t- explains to the doll that see it's plastic, so it never it'll never die, and it never goes away. And that's a very revealing line, and I love that line. I like it's a great explanatory line, but at the same time, is it too obvious? Is that too on the nose in that moment? Because it reveals so much about how he thinks about this doll as this thing that is permanent and won't die. Is that too simple? And I keep just coming back to that. Every aspect of his life is so very well explained. And I don't think trauma or 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 even, you know, delusion or 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 you know these types of anxieties are so simple the triggers are so obvious uh you know, one of the main triggers is that emily mortimer's character karen is pregnant and going to have a baby and he's very worried that she's going to die in pregnancy and that's kind of what touches him off to pick up this doll as something that's permanent and can't die it also explains why he's so uncomfortable around her because he's so afraid that she's going to die in childbirth that he doesn't want to get too close to her and have that feeling again of the pain of loss. I like a lot of that, but again, is it too easy? I, I, I feel what you're saying. Uh, it's like, even the, just the fact that it's, it's like a gentle and pleasant mental illness story. And I mean, and I say that, and but it makes me comfortable, uncomfortable saying, you know, I don't like laughing at it. You're never laughing at it, so that's not what I mean. But like you're saying, you're explaining mental illness way too easily. And but and then I'm sitting there going, am I am I just being too 2021 and you know not a, able to just watch the movie for what it is. You know, is it me? Is it the the time we're in, or is it the movie? And I, and I don't know. I I really don't know uh, what the answer is because uh, it's good. Ryan Gosling's good. Emily Moore. They're all good. Uh, Craig and maybe it comes back to Craig Gillespie's a really good at. He's really good at making something watchable, and even like I Tanya, it's like wow, that's really. It's like really pretty awesome but then it's just like but it's a tanya harding story so you, <laughs> it never you, it was it was, was kind of like i mean i could see her getting an oscar for this or being nominated but i don't know the movie's just not you know all of them and even looking at cruella you know i like the that aesthetic so much but like you said the movie itself is kind of weak you know if you go and look at the story yeah and so maybe he doesn't have I, – I don't know. He's so strong in certain areas that I, I'm – this movie just is conflicting to me. Uh, I don't want – there's nothing bad about it. I just – I think what you said too easy is the the where I end up, but I don't know if it's me, if it's the time, or if – you know, if I watch the movie for what it is and just let it be a movie, I, I know it's kind of – it's loosely based on a Greek mythology story – uh, about a guy who worships a monument or something like that or a statue. I'm not, I'm not up on my Greek mythology. Right, so I'm not me. either. I didn't. I wasn't even aware of that. So yeah. So you've it, also got this Kelly Gardner character who who slots so easily into his life that it, again is does that puzzle piece fit too easily? Why why is she truly drawn to Lars? What about him is appealing? Uh, it's just she's. Uh, 
Is everybody aware of this guy's trauma? Is everybody in this town aware of this deep psychological issue that this guy has? They, I mean, they all conspire to to take this seriously. Where's that one person who goes, fuck you, I'm not going to talk to a fucking doll. There's got to be one of them. I mean, I, I appreciate that the movie didn't go there because I because I wouldn't have enjoyed that scene uh, of somebody, you know, making everybody else uncomfortable in that way. But at the same time, as a human being, I just have a hard time believing that there wasn't that one person who was like, this is fucking stupid. I'm not talking to a fucking doll. <laughs> everybody, everybody from the mall to the to the church, everybody's willing to go along with this. And I understand the point. And Patricia Clarkson's got a, a really strong point. She's really great at this movie that, that, uh, you know, trying to lean into this particular type of delusion might help him come out of it. And I could, de- there's a, there's a definitely a psychological basis to that uh, where, where delusional people maybe just temporarily are in this delusion and they just need to figure their own way out of it. And we have to help them and you know, nurture that away from them as opposed to trying to jar that out of them. I definitely get that. And there's a lot of really strong emotional beats in this, in this movie that I really appreciate. I just can't get over that one little thing. And, and I, I mean, the brother kind of goes there, but not to the extent you're saying, but no one else in town does. And at the same time, you know, I suppose a segment of the town could do it. It all work out the same, you know, we just would never see the other segment. Uh, and again, I keep coming back to, is it me or the movie? Uh, cause if I watch it and I throw that out, I, I think it's great. You know, does that make sense? And, and if it is really just kind of mirroring a, uh, a, a Greek mythology story, uh, let me see if I can find the name of it. I think it's Pygmalion. The Ovid story, Pygmalion. Uh, uh, is a romantic comedy. The story of Pygmalion is a story of an unusual love of Pygmalion falls in love with his statue of a beautiful ivory woman. The statue is real. He often felt the statue with his hands to see if it was flesh or ivory still, and then no longer admit it was ivory. Uh, so, I mean, I guess if you're just telling that story in modern day, uh, I get that too, but it's hard to not. I can't turn my brain off enough to just, I, I don't know. And I, again, I, I feel bad focusing on that cause it's, it is a, everything else about it's really great. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, it's very watchful. I mean, I kind of like Craig Gillespie. I, I think I, I like pretty much everything he's done. I just don't know if any of it, like, I don't feel like I'm ever going to see, a. uh, Midsummer for I mean you know I'm, I don't feel like I'm ever going to see that movie from him I'm always going to see this next level down like a step above like a step up above a Deadpool movie or something like that you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. like a really good solid movie that's just missing one piece to make it the next level yeah um, I hear you I hear you and uh, we're not going to see anything from him uh, in the near future that's going to get to that his next movie is uh, Pam and Tommy with uh, Sebastian Stamp playing Tommy Lee. Uh, it's the Pamela Lee and Tommy Lee movie. And then after that, he's making a movie about Mike Tyson. And that's a TV uh, that's, show, the Pam and Tommy thing, or is that a movie? I don't know. I think there might be both TV shows, but I'm not sure. They're both for Hulu. I know that. I mean, I'll give it a shot. I know Seth Rogen's involved. In, I mean, I, I have no interest in the Pam and Tommy story. I lived through it. But if he's involved and Seth Rogen's involved, I'll at least give it a shot. 
right. could, it could at least be under. I mean, Tanya Harding, he made good. I mean, they made a good movie out of that. So he's great at he's great at absurdity. You know, he's great at observing absurdity from a very human perspective, and I, I do appreciate that. And I, I like I said, I really, really do like Lars and the Real Girl. I I just can't get past that idea that it's just all a little too simple. simple. And I can sense something of what what Kelly Garner's character sees in Lars, but not nearly enough of it for that. And it's just, again, it's a little too easy the way she slots in at the end. Uh, that just comes around too easily. And the whole the whole treatment of mental illness, this this idea of treating delusion like this, the way it plays out, again, it's a little bit simple. There's no real complexity to it. Uh, it because the the triggers are so very obvious and it, yeah just it's in that way I find it a little bit a little bit frustrating it's not messy enough right and I guess I mean I'm gonna go back to something you said about chasing Amy about you know how Kevin Smith dealt with lesbianism and really he, you made a comment about how it was more that character it wasn't about lesbianism as a whole it was about that character I'm having a hard time with this movie is just this movie and not looking at mental illness as a whole. That's where I'm at with it. And maybe it works in this scenario. I just can't let it. I don't know what Kevin Smith did differently that Craig Gillespie didn't get here. Or if it's me, you know, I I can't tell you that answer, Uh, but I cannot separate mental illness as a whole here and just look at it as a character thing. If that makes any sense at all. I think what Kevin Smith did was he he let it be sloppy. It was a sloppy thing. It was, you know, her her motivations and her life was never so easily explained. Like the why she t- chose what to, to do, what she chose to do. It doesn't have a, a very simple explanation. It's based in, in her basic humanity, why she chose to do the things that she did. Uh, she was driven by her, you know, her character. Whereas this movie, he does feel, Lars kind of does feel tugged around by the plot a little bit at times and uh, being the things that the plot needs him to be at, at any moment. I feel like we're getting somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That makes sense. Uh, anything else on Lars and the Real Girl? No, not really. I, I still do love this movie. Oh, yeah. I love Gosling's performance, and I did kind of choke up during that uh, that talking head scene at the party. That that scene always gets me. Yeah, no, I, I definitely recommend it. Uh, and I'm gonna make sure I've seen everything Craig Gillespie has done, just because I enjoy watching his, his movies. His most conventional movie is The Finest Hours with the. Uh, Chris Pine, but it's it's very conventional action movie, but it's also really really good for a conventional action movie. I definitely haven't seen that one. Uh, all right, cool. Thirty years ago, a bunch of pretty people made a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Soap dish, Soap dish. <laughs> uh, stars Sally Field as a uh, as a daytime television actress on a soap opera. Uh, she is. Uh, the star of the show. She's the most rewarded person in television history. Uh, years ago, she got Kevin Klein kicked off of the show uh, for reasons. And uh, now, uh, 20 years later, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Kathy Moriarty are trying to uh, get her off the show to get her out of the way. And they've conspired to bring back uh, Jeffrey, played by Kevin Klein, even though his character on the on the soap opera had been beheaded, was the explanation about his character being gone from the show. So that's very funny. Whoopi Goldberg makes the moment of that reveal very, very funny. Um, 
Elizabeth Shue plays a character who comes in initially as Sally Field's niece who uh, gets a job on the show and uh, surprises her by showing up. And uh, then they, of course, are going to reveal over time that the reason why she had Jeffrey kicked off the show was because he knocked her up and that Elizabeth Shue is actually her daughter. And that's all coming about as all these machinations behind the scenes are taking place between you know, Downey Jr. and Kathy Moriarty trying to get rid of her. Ruby Goldberg's her friend who's trying to help her. Um, why Why Terry Hatcher's on the poster, I don't know, because she's barely in the movie. <laughs> Kathy Moriarty probably should be there, but nevertheless. Is this possible they like, redid it like after Lois and Clark came out and that's what Perhaps. they grabbed? <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. There's also no relationship between uh, you know, Whoopi Goldberg and Terry Hatcher that I'm aware of, but nevertheless. Uh poster is very weird looking uh <laughs> it's 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 okay it's it's a it's all right it's, it's a watchable movie uh yeah that's pretty much all there is to it i don't really have much to say about it i didn't love it i don't hate it it it's all right i saw it right around the time lois and clark came out only because i was like oh elizabeth shoe terry hatcher <laughs> they're hot let's go watch this <laughs> uh but that was a long time ago. I don't remember. It I saw all. Gary Marshall's name in the credits. I'm like, wait, did he? He didn't direct this, did he? Please tell me he didn't direct. This. <laughs> and thankfully, he didn't. He just appears in it. It is, a, it is a hell of a cast, though. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Oscars there. A lot of Oscars. How many? <laughs> Two. <laughs> well, Sally Field, Kevin Klein, Robert Downey Jr. Has Robert Downey um, Jr. won one? He's been nominated at least. Oh. I'm not sure if he, he was nominated well, for Elizabeth Chaplin. She was nominated. Whoopi <laughs> so, Goldberg won. Yeah, I didn't know Kevin Klein had won. Kathy Moriarty was nominated. Okay, if you go in nominations, then yes. Uh, great. So uh, <laughs> uh, that is our show. Next week, we've got The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It on HBO and in theaters. Uh, when is HBO going to back off of that? Because uh, No idea. Because I mean, clearly showing the ones that aren't in <laughs> on streaming are doing better on in the theaters than those that are. Uh, the Spirit Untamed. I have no idea if this is coming here or not, but the Samaritan starring Stallone. Uh, it says it's a wide release. Uh, and then you mentioned there's something called Sweet Tooth on Netflix as well. Yeah. Our cla- if it's a movie. Yeah, it might be a TV show. I, you, I can never tell, and I don't do research, so forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our classic next week is Hasu or House from 1977, a Japanese haunted house movie. And in 1991, kind of a big week, I guess, sort of, the Academy Award-winning City Slickers, uh, Jungle Fever, and uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter is Dead. Weirdly, J- Jungle Fever is not available anywhere. Really? Yeah, if you want it, yeah. If you want it, you have to buy the DVD off of Amazon. Oh man, I've seen it. That was the first Spike Lee movie I've ever seen. I was hoping to rewatch it again. I really do want to watch it. I wonder what is what the movie will be like in this day and age. But yeah, it's not available to stream. That sucks. I weirdly, we just watched Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter is Dead not that long ago because <laughs> my wife. Uh, I, I think that's going to join that club of movies that i don't know why people love <laughs> uh, i am excited to rewatch city slickers because i haven't seen it since then and i want to see if it's any been a good. long time yeah i literally watched it one time when it came out and i want to see what's any good and he won an oscar for that right jack pallets 
Yeah, yeah. The, the Lifetime Achievement Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for acting for 60 years, Oscar. And doing the same character in every movie. Uh, like I said, that is our show. I do want to remind you about our sweepstakes. Uh, head over to our, both our Facebook or Twitter page. They're pinned to the top uh, with the details. But if you go and give us a five-star rating on any uh podcatcher platform uh you'll be entered in a chance to win a copy of what movies sean and the great war of archimedes and deliver us from evil yes uh patreon.com slash critics pod get yourself a credit on the show and kind of listen to uh some bonus episodes that'll be coming up in the near future and then i hate critics.net i click on the t public link if you want to get some of our podcast merch uh, do you have time for flick chart? Yes. Fanny and Alexander Juno. I don't know what Fanny and Alexander. Is. Yeah, I'm not sure I do either. V for Vendetta or Juno? Juno. Agreed. Night at the Museum, Battles of the Smithsonian, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. You win, Josh. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. The Incredibles. Oh, this isn't a movie. That's not a movie. Incredibles is, but uh, Mary, Mary, <laughs> Mary Madagascar is not. Uh, the Incredibles or Speed to the Lake House. <laughs> Incredibles. And how did this get made? They couldn't help but ask the question about like about the lake house. What if he'd put his dick in the mailbox? <laughs> <laughs> what would have happened? And I, ever since then, I can't I can't watch that movie without thinking about it. <laughs> but did you think about it at the time, even a little no. bit? Or I don't think I did. I don't think I did. I don't know. I mean, that thought has popped up. I don't know if it was an original one of my own or if I heard it from that podcast or if somebody else suggested it. But uh, that definitely. <laughs> uh, two movies I don't care about. First Night or Hobbit, Desolation of Smog. The Hobbit is way too long. So <laughs> the other one it's probably, I assume it's shorter. <laughs> Annie, nineteen eighty-two, or Fanboys, two thousand. Oh, they both suck. Um, fuck out, Fanboys, just because it's shorter. I'm gonna go Annie only because Fanboys really was disappointing. It's a bad movie. There's no doubt. Like I think there's a shot. Annie is just not for me. <laughs> yeah. It won the twin. I always win those coin costs. I never win when I like, <laughs> totally disagree. Mortal Kombat Annihilation, The Apartment. The Apartment. That's pretty easy. The Wolfman, Vegas Vacation. <laughs> yeah, they both truly suck. Um, the Wolfman. Yeah. Date Night, Monsters versus Aliens. I like Date Night. So did I. Enough. Rat Race, Blaze <sighs> of Glory. What the fuck is wrong with Flickchart today? I don't know. It's giving us just the shittiest movies. It's not even uh, like fun shit. It's just kind of like no. throwaway movies. Blades of Glory, I guess. <laughs> Go rat race. Uh, <laughs> I don't like you the one really. Yeah, I don't care which one the coin picks, honestly. I win again when it doesn't matter. Uh, Shooter Poseidon. <laughs> <laughs> Shooter Poseidon. 
Jesus Christ. Come on. Shooter, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Poseidon's don't, pretty bad. I don't care enough about Poseidon. Starship Troopers For 3. For fuck's sake. I haven't seen it. And I'm sure you haven't. No, yet, I haven't so either. Let's just see what. That's no. not a movie. Be- <laughs> Come on. Beethoven Mad Max. Mad Max, I guess. I don't know. I don't want to watch Beethoven again, but I don't want to watch either of those movies. I like Mad Max aesthetic better than Beethoven. <laughs> Splash Flatliners. Splash. The Three Musketeers Stargate. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I mean, it's almost like they're fucking with us. Really? Yeah, Stargate. <sighs> yeah, the usual suspects, Varsity Blues. Usual suspects. I agree, but I like Varsity Blues way too much. <laughs> and I don't know if there'll ever be a chance where I could go back and like, I've seen it so many times that I don't think I could ever not like it. <laughs> You know, when you see it so, where, so many times where if you go back to watch it 30 years later, you're like, oh, my God, what was that? I, I think I'm too familiar. I was watching. I was just scrolling through Facebook and there was a Facebook post about how actually the 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 uh, the whipped cream bikini probably wouldn't taste oh. very good. <laughs> the whipped cream bikini wouldn't work. I think it was shaving cream because whipped cream would just fall. It would melt too quick. <laughs> Uh, uh, Hitch. I will forever love Allie Larder, though. I'm just saying. Yeah. Hitch Good or Sea Biscuit, Hitch. I wish she was a bigger star. <laughs> Rosemary's Baby, Dark City. These are two good movies. Uh, Dark City. Yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 3, Outside For the Wire. Sake. I've never seen Outside the Wire, have I? Oh, I have. That sucked. Yeah, it was really ter- terrible, but so is Beverly Hills Cop 3. They both suck. Beverly Hills Cop 3. Yeah. Just for the history. <laughs> Let the Right One In, Monte Carlo. Let the Right One In. Greed. Nomeo and Juliet, Mad Max. For fuck's sake. Mad Max. It's never won so much on the show. I know. <laughs> like, we don't like Mad Max at all. We're, what the hell is going on? She's all that or the village. The village. Agreed. Spangl- it doesn't have a pubes pizza in it, so I'm, that's why it wins. Spanglish Saw 2. I like Spanglish, but Saw 2. Agreed. <laughs> Phenomenon Small Soldiers. This is fucking nuts. I like laughing at Phenomenon more. Okay. I'll, I'll go with you there. Oh, my God. End of days, true lies. Now they're not even trying. True lies. That was one of the first movies where I went back and loved it at the time. And then when I saw it the second time, I'm like, oh, my God, true lies is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Max, Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. Someday we'll have to make that a classic because I have not seen it. <laughs> uh, I'm not letting you choose that one. All right. Hannibal, Karate Kid Part 3. Karate Kid Part 3. Did you hear the take of the villain from Karate Kid Part 3? And he's like the big bad of the next season of Cobra Kai. I kind of figured they'd go there. Uh, which bad guy? Mike Barnes or the... the Thomas Ian Griffith's character. Oh, that is, I don't know their character names. <laughs> 
Uh, I, I'm I'm willing to go there. I like Karate Kid three. Uh, American movie Hostage. Hostage is like one of the last good kind kind of sort of good Bruce Willis movies, but American movies better. I've never seen it, but I've heard it's pretty good. Oh, you should see it. Yeah. Empire Records, Air Force One. Empire Records, but don't watch the extended edition. <laughs> I agree. Dante's Peak, Heather's. It's Heather's, though. I, I will always appreciate a movie that thinks you can drive across lava. <laughs> <laughs> Joker, Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke. I think I agree. I do like the Joker more than you, but Cool Hand Luke's just, I, I think he's cool. I just enjoyed watching that movie, even if it doesn't really have a point. Yeah. <laughs> Other than he's the Jesus guy. Uh, Walk the Line. Man, I've never heard of that okay. other movie. Walk the Line or Superman, 1978. Superman. I don't really like either one, though. I don't hate Walk the Line. It just wasn't as good as everybody said it was, and it kind of annoyed me. Uh, Moonraker, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which comes out 30 years ago in a couple weeks. Uh, Robin Hood. I am curious how that one holds up. Because <laughs> I watched that a lot for like two years. <laughs> Star Trek Into the Darkness, Brick. Brick. Yes, Freaky Friday, Airplane. Airplane. I don't hate Freaky Friday, though. I'm just going to (laughs) say. Men in Black 3, Monsters vs. Aliens. Uh, Monsters vs. Aliens. Dances with Wolves, Easy A. Easy A. (laughs) Yes. The Bucket List, The Omen. The Omen. It's pretty insane how Emma Stone started in Superbad and then just as blown up into this i guess so did jonah hill in a way but she's one of the best actresses out there right now absolutely burn after reading beverly hills cop three burn after reading cruel intentions the machinist the machinist scream three air force one air force one scream three is terrible the muppets pearl harbor the Muppets. Oh, yeah, I like the Muppets. Has it really that been that long since they? That's the Jason Segel one, right? Yeah, Jason Segel. Yeah, Segel. Wow, it's been ten years. Fuck. That's crazy, right? Were we doing the podcast then? <laughs> I don't remember. I thought it was twenty thirteen. I thought it was too, but I thought we did that movie. So, so maybe we. Did well, there's the a there was a sequel. There was a sequel. The sequel. Uh, Top Gun, Aragon. Top Gun. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, a 1993, or Milk? Milk. Yeah. Runaway Jury. I've never heard of it. I know what Putney Swope is, but I've never seen it. Yeah. Runaway Jury, Zombieland. Zombieland. Yep. Source Code, English Patient. Source Code. Now you see me, run Lola, run. Run Lola, run. The Princess Diaries, Red Scorpion. (laughs) The Princess Diaries. 
Leaving Las Vegas, arachnophobia. Leaving Las Vegas. 21 Jump Street, Tootsie. 21 Jump Street. The Princess and the Frog, King Kong. King Kong. Keepers, Creepers, Wild Hogs. (laughs) Keepers, Creepers. How to Train Your Dragon Dances with Wolves. Or How to Train Your Dragon 2 Dances with Wolves. Flip a coin. I don't care. How to Train Your Dragon 2. I like that better. Uh, I don't hate Dance with Wolves. I just don't mind the How to Train Your Dragon movies. Big Hero 6, The Graduate. Big Hero 6. The Ninth Gate, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Jesse James. Deadpool 2, The Golden Child. Deadpool 2. Deadpool 2, Rocky 5. Deadpool 2. <laughs> Starsky and Hutch, Shooter. Starsky and Hutch. Blast from the Past, Manhattan. Manhattan. I love Blast from the Past, though. That's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, this is the end of Few Good Men. That's tough. That is a tough one. I'm not sure. I guess A Few Good Men. Rob Reiner, though, kind of has uh, Ron Howard-itis. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, like, I don't know if Few Good Men's as bad as Backdraft. So I think it's right. competent. But it's also very simple in a movie. <laughs> Frequency, Sunset Boulevard. Sunset Boulevard. The People versus Larry Flint, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Larry Flint. Yeah. I like Lock, Stock, though. Agreed. The Jungle Book, Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. Love that movie. Metropolis, Terminator. Metropolis. Girl Next Door, The Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Monty Python. (laughs) The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford or Jr.? (laughs) Jesse James. I'm starting to bore myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tootsie Big Hero 6. Big Hero 6. Uh, the Muppets Night at the Museum. This? I just want something funny to the Muppets. talk about. Like, these aren't even bringing up conversations. 10, an American tale. <laughs> I mean, that's just weird <laughs> movies to put against each other. <laughs> that is just bizarre, yeah. Uh, American tale. Is 10 any good? I know I've. it's been a long time since I've seen so. it. I don't think so, no. No, it's not. End of Days, Life of Pi. Life of Pi. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Alien vs. Predator, Requiem. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, even though I don't like it. John Q, The Hangover Part 2. Hangover Part 2. Driving Miss Daisy, Tombstone. (laughs) Tombstone. Brazil, 101 Dalmatians. Brazil. Alien versus Predator, Now You See Me. Now You See Me. Like, I'm seriously getting tired. 
right? This is it's not even come fun. on. Merrick, almost famous Code of Silence. Like I just want to say I haven't seen Code of Silence. <laughs> what do you want to put it up against something else? I just want to not like. It's so easy. Patriots never going to win over there. Something about Mary. no, never. So it's just the Secret Garden. I don't know that one as well. No. Miller's Crossing. There's something about Mary. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Because um, I know Miller's Crossing is a better movie, but I love There's Something About Mary. That movie just never fails to make me laugh. Right. I'm going to pick Miller's Crossing because it's the right thing to do. But <laughs> That's tough because you're right. I just don't know. Like, that's not a Coen Brother movie you go back and watch a lot. Yeah. But it's a Coen Brother movie. Uh. I'll go Miller's Crossing with you, but that is that's that's the kind of conversation we need. <laughs> Have uh, I seen? I don't even know if I've seen Fandango. Other than the wrestler, <laughs> the Big Short, or be fun for Sunrise. Before Sunrise, you love those movies. There's three of those movies, right? Is that the yeah. Link Letter? I still haven't watched any of those. Uh, <laughs> fuck both of these movies. Oh, I, I thought it was a cartoon. I thought it was a fucking cartoon. It was apparently it was Thor the movie. My fault. Uh, Hot Shots, Mean Girls. Mean Girls. I love Hot Shots, but Mean Girls is really good. I don't ever want to see this up there again. <laughs> The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Panic Room. Panic Room. No more James Bond either. Ooh. Last, last one. Last one. Up in the air, Evil Dead 2. Ah, fuck. Oh, man. I love those movies. The two movies you'd never put against each other either. No, never. There's no reason to at all. Evil Dead 2. I, I just, I have a hard time not going with a genre specific movie when I'm in a scenario like, like when one's not and then one <laughs> is. I, like, I want to go with the style and the, and the, you know, whatever they're doing in a movie like Evil Dead 2, even though Up in the Air is a freaking phenomenal movie. I'm just more just, likely uh, to appreciate. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like get it. that originality better. 